What's up, guys? Welcome to the Renew.org Network Podcast. This is Season 3. I'm Dave Stovall. And I'm Jason Henderson. And we're just so glad that you're tuning in again to listen yes. to another episode. Jason, what do we got on tap for today? We have Matt Proctor. So we're going to continue with some of the best of 2019, including talks from the 2019 Renew.org National Gathering. And uh, we started this season with Dave and Sidney Clayton. Today, we are going to listen to the last talk of the day. Uh, Matt Proctor, man, this dude closed the gathering like nobody else ever has. I like had hair standing up during this talk. Yeah, same. On multiple parts. I would say, um, if if you're not familiar with Matt Proctor, what he does during his speeches and sermons is he takes you on a journey. He, this dude is a storyteller. Big time. And he does it so well by crafting it into what we're here to talk about and what we're here to learn about. And it's just, it was awesome. It was. Uh, Matt Proctor is the president of Ozark Christian College, and he is a great new friend and part of the Renew.org network. Uh, we're so happy to have him. I, I think I've got the verbal from Matt Proctor that he will be back with us at this year's gathering, which is on a Friday evening and Saturday. So if you have been unable to attend our gatherings because they're during the week, maybe you're a bivocational church leader, maybe you are just a normal everyday disciple maker and you work for a living um, and you just can't make it during the week to something like this. Well, Friday night and Saturday, we're going to do it and Matt will be a part of it. So if you like what you're about to hear, come join us. The tickets are on sale now. You can go to renew.org for more information. I'm looking forward to that. So um, let's just go ahead and dive into Matt Proctor from last year's Renew Gathering. Let's do it. My name is Matt Proctor. I get to serve as the president of Ozark Christian College, a Bible college in Joplin, Missouri. And I'm excited to share with you. Let's jump in. Revelation 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Revelation chapter 1. I saw a lady one time in a gym. She was working out. She was uh, sweating and she was straining. She was working very hard. And she had a shirt that said this, why am I doing this again? It's a very good question. And on the wall of the gym was the answer, before and after pictures. You have seen these kind of pictures before, right? Uh, Here's some actual pictures. Uh, Before the weight loss, after the weight loss. Uh, Before the weight training, after the weight training. Uh, Before CrossFit, after CrossFit. There you go. Why am I doing this again? That's why. That's why. It's a good question. A few years ago, Simon Sinek wrote a best-selling leadership book. It was entitled Start With Why. Subtitle, How Great Leaders Inspire Other People to Action. His thesis in the book was this. Great leaders don't start by telling people what to do or how to do it. They start by telling them why to do it. At the Bible College where I serve, we are right now in the 12th week of the semester. Students are weary, they are fatigued, they are tired. I had a student who came up to me and he said, he said, have you ever noticed that the last part of the word studying is actually the word dying? (laughs) He's not wrong. That's how they're feeling right now. And they're asking themselves, why am I doing this again? And as their leader and as their teacher, it's my job to tell them why. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist, World War II, thrown into the Auschwitz concentration camp. And after he survived, he wrote a book in which he wrote these words. Those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. It's very good wisdom. Always start with why. 
Now, the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John to seven churches in Asia Minor who are undergoing severe persecution. End of first century, Emperor Domitian wants to crush the Christians. He knows one of the ways that he can flush them out is through the imperial cult. You remember this little piece of historical background? In the Roman Empire, emperor viewed as divine God, and as a test of loyalty to Rome, every citizen had to come to the public square, offer a pinch of incense to the statue of Caesar, and confess, Caesar is Lord. Christians, of course, knew they could never offer this pinch of incense. They could never make that confession. They knew if they didn't, severe consequences. You talk about gospel allegiance. They literally had to choose between pledging allegiance to Caesar and pledging allegiance to Christ. And they know that if they choose Christ, that they could lose their job, they could lose their home, they could lose their family and their friends and their freedom, and maybe even their lives. John is writing here to believers who are living out gospel allegiance, but they are suffering. And surely they are asking themselves the question, why am I doing this again? And John writes the book of Revelation to tell them why. This whole book is a call to persevere, to endure, to stay faithful. And he calls himself in chapter 1, verse 9, their brother in suffering and in patient endurance. But the question his readers are asking is, why, John? Why should I get up every single morning and live out this life of gospel allegiance when it's so hard? And maybe, maybe this afternoon some of you are there. Maybe that's the question you're asking yourself in a moment of of hard temptation. Maybe in the midst of conflict or in a moment of doubt or maybe, maybe just a moment of fatigue, you are doing ministry, you are bone-tired, and it feels like you're seeing no fruit and you feel like quitting. And you are asking yourself the question, why, why am I doing this again? And to all who ask that question, God, John gives us the answer in one very simple word, Jesus. That's why. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, he says that this book is a revelation of Jesus Christ because if we are going to stay faithful, that's what we need more than anything else. We need a fresh vision of Jesus. And so over the course of these 22 chapters, he gives his readers three visions of Christ. Revelation 1, Revelation 5, Revelation 19. He paints three portraits of this king to whom we pledge our allegiance. And today, if you are asking, why am I doing this again? Can I show you these pictures? Revelation 1, I'll put a caption underneath it, a terrifying king. We pledge allegiance because we have a terrifying king. Before we read, uh, my wife, Katie, and I, we were married in May of 1991. And I wanted to take Katie, um, you know, someplace exotic for our honeymoon. And so we went to Kansas City. Uh, I was a poor college kid. And when we got to Kansas City, we found out they had just finished filming a movie there in Kansas City. It was on the newspaper in our hotel room. This movie was entitled Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. It starred Paul Newman. And there was a a true story about the filming of this movie. There was a lady there in Kansas City, went down onto the plaza, went into a Haagen-Dazs store to get some ice cream up to the counter, made her selection. The attendant is dipping her cone, and she just happens to turn around. Guess who's standing behind her in line? It's Paul Newman in town for this movie. Well, she instantly recognizes him, you know, looks into those famous blue eyes of his. She kind of gets all weak in the knees. And uh, he says, hello. And she's just speechless. She can't say anything. She just nods at him. And she turns around, manages to pay for her ice cream cone. And as she's walking out the door, she regains her composure, kind of pulls herself together. And that's when she suddenly realizes, oh, no, she didn't have her ice cream cone. 
Very embarrassed, she walks back into the store, and as she does, guess who she meets at the door coming out? It's Paul Newman again, and he says to her, uh, are, you, are you looking for your ice cream cone? Still speechless, she just nods at him. He says, you put it in your purse with your change. <laughs> Now, that's what we do when we are in the presence of somebody that we think is important, right? We, we get a little nervous. We, our, our palms begin to sweat. Our heart beats a little bit faster. We get tongue-tied. Maybe we do something silly. Can I ask you a question? When you walked in here this afternoon, did your pulse quicken? Did your palms begin to sweat? Did you begin to feel just a little bit nervous. You understand when we walk into worship, we are not in the presence of some small little human celebrity. We are in the presence of the high king of heaven himself. And the churches of Revelation have forgotten that. They have lost their reverent fear of Christ. And that's why read chapters two and three. They are shot through with sin. They have compromised their gospel allegiance. Revelation one, this picture will fix that. John is on the island of Patmos. He's worshiping on the Lord's day. Here's a voice behind him. Listen to what it says. Verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John is terrified. Why? Because Jesus is, well, he's standing among the seven golden lampstands. You know those are the seven churches. Jesus is not up in the clouds somewhere, the man upstairs, absentee landlord. No, Jesus is right in the midst of his people. He is among his churches. And this robe that he is wearing, golden sash, he has left aside the rags of the rabbi, and now he is wearing the robes of a king. His head and hair white like wool, that's not aging, that's not frailty, that's dignity, that's respect, that's power. His, his feet glowing like bronze, he can stand firm and strong and immovable. His eyes like blazing fire, they can pierce through our hypocrisy and they can see to our very souls. In his hand, he holds seven stars. Did you ever sing this song when you were a kid? He's got the whole world in his hand. This Jesus has multiple worlds in his hand. He holds entire planetary systems right there in his palm. He is that huge and out of his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword face shining like the sun in all its brilliance. Listen to me. This is not the gentle Jesus. This is not a flannel graph Jesus with little lammies around his shoulder or Mr. Rogers Jesus with little children upon his lap. This Jesus speaks in Niagara thunder. He blazes with supernova brilliance. This, this Jesus could play kickball with our planet. He could flick his finger and send our solar system spinning off into space. This Jesus is the Jesus of Genesis 1 who takes a handful of syllables and he just speaks 10,000 galaxies into existence. He is clothed in glory and splendor and majesty and authority and John falls at his feet as though dead. He is terrified. He is crushed by a tidal wave of glory and he is fighting for his breath, for his very life. This is a Jesus in whose presence you do not casually stand around. And the message to the churches is clear. Be afraid. Jesus is watching. And he is not some kindly grandfather who tussles your hair when you misbehave. Oh, boys will be boys. 
He is not a smiling buddy who will wink at your sin. He is a towering, furious figure who will not be managed. He is Lord, and he is among his churches, and he sees our sin, and he's big enough to do something about it. And he says to his readers, and he says to us, that if we are hiding secret sin in our lives, do not be Ananias and Sapphira who walked casually, carelessly into the sanctuary, unaware of who their king really was, pledging allegiance to themselves. No. This king is glorious and holy. He is not to be trifled with. He is terrifying. And that's why we pledge allegiance. There's a second picture, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, caption, we have a tender-hearted king. Now, my wife Katie and I, we have six kids. And so you can imagine as my kids have been growing up, it's hard to find one-on-one time with my kids, with that many kids. But I have tried really hard, and especially with my two middle kids out of the six. Middle kids can often get forgotten, right? And so whenever I've had one-on-one time with my two middle children, I have a ritual that I have done with both of them, only with those two. When my daughter Clara, she's kid number three, my first middle kid, when, when she was a little girl, five, six years old, and, and we would get time together alone, just the two of us, Saturday morning, maybe driving to Walmart in the car, this was my ritual with her. I would lean over to Clara, five years old, and, and I'd say, hey, Clara, guess what? What? You know what? What, Dad? Guess what? What? You know what? What? Ask her those same two questions over and over again. Pretty soon, tension began to grow. Excitement began to build. When she couldn't stand it any longer, I'd say, guess what? What? You know what? What? I'd say, I love you. And she'd go, yay! (laughs) I had never done that ritual with my other middle kid, Carl. He is child number four. But one day when he was three years old, I decided to do with uh, do this with him. Now, uh, Carl is 17 these days. He's six foot one, 230. He's a football lineman. But even at age three, he looked like an NFL linebacker. That's how he was built. The two of us were in an empty church building. We were walking down a long hallway, and he's just walking beside me, little barrel chest. He's sucking on a lollipop. And I decided to do this ritual with him for the very first time. I leaned over to Carl, and I said, hey, Carl, guess what? What? You know what? What, Dad? Guess what? What? You know what? What? Same two questions over and over. Tension began to build. Excitement began to grow. When he couldn't stand it any longer, guess what? What? You know what? What? I said, I love you. He popped that lollipop out of his mouth. He said, yep, you do. (laughs) I love that. I want my kids to know deep in their bones, if nothing else in the world is true, this much is true. Their father loves them. Every human being ever born wants to know, does anyone love me? In Revelation chapter 5, John is in the throne room. God is seated on his throne, holding in his hand a scroll on which is his plan to save the world But no one can open the scroll. No one can enact God's plan of salvation. And when John discovers this, it says he wept bitterly. Does no one love us? Can no one save us? Will we be forgotten? But in Revelation chapter 5, listen to the words. It says this, Then I saw a lamb 
looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What is this? What is this that we are seeing? Very simply this. Jesus came to earth as a lamb. He came to earth as a sacrifice. He came to earth to be slain. Why? To purchase us. We are not forgotten. Our king loves us so much. He died for us. My wife, Katie, is the children's minister at our church I'm one of her children's church teachers. And so just a few years ago, we took a group of her kids, about 15 or 20 kids, to a passion play at a big Baptist church in our town. It was right before Easter. And we got there about an hour early so we could go up in the balcony and get seats in the front row, a great spot for all these kids to see. But here was the challenge. That year in our children's ministry, we had several unchurched kids. It was great. A neighbor had brought them. Uh, but they, they were pretty rough kids. They were street kids. Sitting quietly for an hour waiting for the show to start not their spiritual gift. Uh, It was Friday night. It had been a long week. I was very tired. I'm just being very honest with you. I was grumpy. And I was riding herd on this one little third grade kid named David. You talk about a rough kid. He was kind of a punk. He kept harassing the other kids. He kept whacking them on the arm. And David kept uh, mouthing off and he kept cussing and he he kept telling dirty jokes to all of them. I I heard a a story about about a substitute teacher who had a very rowdy, loud first grade class. And so about an hour into the school day, the the principal came by to check on her. And to his amazement, all the kids were quiet. And he said, wow, how did you do that? And she said, well, I gave all the kids glue sticks and I told them it was lip balm. (laughs) I wanted to give David some lip balm that night. Are you following me here? But what I did instead was I took him down to the bottom floor and we sat in the back row and he was on my lap. My arms clamped around him to hold him still. Finally, the lights went down and the show began and David was almost instantly captivated. His eyes wide with wonder. David had just started coming to our church. David had never heard the story of Jesus. And as the play unfolded, he sat on my lap and he kept asking me questions in the dark. Mr. Matt, why did, why did he say that? Mr. Matt, how, how did he make that man better? When Jesus walked down the aisle bearing his cross just inches from where we sat, the actor bloodied and almost unrecognizable. Mr. Matt, is that still Jesus? And when they took Jesus onto the stage and they threw him down onto that cross and the soldiers began to pound the nails into his hand, David, sitting on my lap, turned to me in genuine grief and he said, Mr. Matt, why are they doing that? Why are those soldiers killing Jesus? And I tried to explain. I said, David, Jesus let those men kill him so he could take the punishment for our sins. Do you see those other Two men on the crosses, those men are criminals. They 
They died for the bad things they did. But Jesus died for the bad things we did. And David said to me with tears running down his cheeks, that's not fair. And I said, you're right, David. It's not fair. But he did it because he loves us. And that night in the back row of that church, the Holy Spirit just hit me upside of the head with the question, how long has it been since your heart was broken at the foot of the cross? And that night I was reminded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus looks down on us from the cross and he says, I love you. And our hearts answer, yep, you do. We have a tender-hearted king. And that's why we pledge allegiance. But there's one more picture. Revelation 19. And in Revelation 19, the enemies of God are gathering to make war against the people of God. And John's readers, they know these enemies well. They bear the battle scars. They know what is about to come. And they are afraid. Maybe, maybe this afternoon, that's where you're at. Maybe you are facing off against the powers of darkness in your own life. Maybe you are facing an obstacle that you know is much too big for you, and you can feel it. Discouragement, powerlessness, fear. Then I want you to hear the words of Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His, his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one but he himself knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations." He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And John's message could not be more clear. Jesus is riding to the rescue. Don't be afraid. One last story and I'm done. Three years ago, my wife Katie and I took our 20-year-old daughter Lydia to a conference down in Florida. It was at a very nice hotel right on the beach. In fact, when we got there, we found out that they were, they were filming a movie there at the hotel while we were there. Now, I have never seen this movie. In fact, I would recommend that you not see this movie. It was the movie Baywatch. All right? uh, this movie starred uh, Zac Efron and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And so while we were there, uh, we actually got to see these two very famous movie actors. In fact, I think you'll see up here, um, this was a picture that somebody in our group snapped of, of Zach and, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And one night during the conference, we went down and sat by the outdoor pool because uh, they had it roped off. They were going to film a night scene for this movie, and we got to watch them film this scene. Now, I was seated on the front row right up on the rope. My daughter, Lydia, 20 years old, seated right here. And on the other side of the rope are these two big guys, black T-shirts, walkie-talkies. They're the crew. They're guarding the set. And literally just 15 feet from where we are at is Zac Efron. 
And so my daughter Lydia here is seated next to me, 20 years old, and she is just looking at Zac Efron and she is just fanning herself. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, my Lord, you did a great job on that one. Oh, how did you? You are good. You are good. And right beyond Zac Efron is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Now, can I just say he's big on screen, but in real life, the man is massive. Look at that picture. He is a huge human chunk of granite. He is an exceptionally large human being. Now, as we watch this scene in this uh, uh, particular moment in the film, uh, The Rock is angry at Zac Efron's character. And so he, boom, he shoves him into the pool. And we watched them shoot about six or seven takes of this. They did it about six or seven times. And of course, every time, uh, you know, The Rock is, is not shoving Zac Efron into the pool. He's shoving his, his, uh, his body double, his, his stunt double into the pool. And as we're sitting there watching this, all of a sudden, those big guys in black t-shirts, walkie-talkies, they come up to me seated right there on the rope. And they said, uh, sir, we're going to have to ask you to come with us. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Um, did I, did I do something wrong? Is there, is there some mistake? What's, what's going on? They said, no, sir, no mistake. We just, we just need you to come with us. And what had happened was that apparently um, they had accidentally mistaken me for The Rock's body double. <laughs> that did not happen. I did see The Rock. I was not mistaken for The Rock. Look at me. I am not a big guy. I am not buff. I am not jacked. I'm not muscle bound. I am not a fearsome person. I have been in some fearsome situations, some dangerous situations in my life. I have been at times in third world neighborhoods that were so dangerous, crime ridden that they were being patrolled by soldiers in helicopters with AK-47s flying right above our head. I have been, I have been on the streets of New York City at 2 a.m. once when a bunch of guys spilled out of a building onto the sidewalk right around me and a bar room fight began to brew uh, right, right, right there on the sidewalk around me. Now, in moments like that, in those kind of neighborhoods, on those kind of streets, I do not strike fear in anyone's heart, okay? I did not have a class in Bible college on how to break up barroom fights. This, uh, this is not my spiritual gift. I'm a children's church teacher, remember. What am I going to say in that moment? All right, guys, I mean it. Sit down and be quiet. I'm serious. That doesn't work in children's church, okay? At that moment, I am the one who is afraid. My heart is the one that is pounding. My palms are the one that is sweating. I am terrified in that moment. But that night in Florida, as I sat beside that pool, I had a thought, what if? What if I had the rock with me in moments like that? I mean, look look at these pictures. The man is massive. The man is powerful. If you've seen any of his movies, he is pretty much the baddest man on the planet. He drinks jet fuel for breakfast. He's machine gun bullets for lunch. You do not mess with The Rock. What if The Rock was my friend? What if he was my partner? What if he was my constant companion in life? If I had The Rock with me, I could walk down any street with confidence. If I had the rock with me, I could move through life with courage. If I had the rock with me, I could be free from fear and anxiety. If I had the rock with me, even the middle of a barroom fight would be a perfectly safe place for me to be. You listen to me, church, I do. Every single moment of every day, I have the rock of ages at my side. Jesus Christ is my rock. He is my refuge he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the King of the universe, and he is the champion of heaven. He is the creator of the cosmos, the conqueror on the cross, the slayer of sin, the destroyer of death, and the subjugator of Satan himself. He is the sustainer of galaxies, the sovereign over every nation, and he is Revelation's righteous warrior on a white horse. And do you think, do you think for a moment 
that I am worried about North Korea or China or Russia? Do you think for a moment I am worried about Supreme Court nominees or Senate races or presidential elections? I am not. A day is coming when every leader, every nation will be a footnote in history, but the kingdom of Jesus Christ will reign forever. He is the rock that will never be broken. He is the rock that will never be shaken. He will reign forever as the rock of ages. And whatever enemy you are encountering today, whatever fear you are facing right now, fear not. He is riding to the rescue. I understand that a life of gospel allegiance is hard. It is not easy. But when you ask yourself that question, why am I doing this again? May I remind you why? Because our king is triumphant. think we cut that video short but he dropped the mic and like leapt off the stage metaphorically and literally <laughs> can i just first off start off by saying Woo! preach <laughs> it was oh good. my gosh matt proctor's good so uh, matt proctor actually the invite daniel our editor um he never ceases to surprise me. He's he's either he's like the Kevin Bacon of the Christian world. He, he like either he's either related to or knows a guy who knows the person that you know. And and so what was funny was we were talking about Matt Proctor because you know he's got this position as president of a college that puts out great preachers and um, and biblical scholars. And uh, Dan was like, oh yeah. I went surfing in Hawaii with him. <laughs> I'm just like, of course, of course you did. So thank you to Daniel and shout out to him for bringing us Matt, who yeah. who then brought the thunder um, from Revelations. Uh, and uh, man, like even the Rock of Ages, I used to grow up singing that song, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. I, I never thought about the Rock of Ages the way he describes it as being your rock uh, forever right. through the ages. I mean, wow. That's awesome. Dude, I just, I loved how he started it off talking about the way Revelation describes Jesus because, you know, that verse in Hebrews, like, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Like, verses like that, and then hearing descriptions of Jesus at the end of time, and just being, and hearing the, the great apostles or people having these visions, they fall down at the feet of this being, just like, I don't know, they inspire me with this healthy fear as I live out my faith. And I don't hear a whole lot of people talk about that. No, I, I, and I, you know what? I mean, to be fair, I get that. I get the reason for flannel graph Jesus. You know, I get the reason for the lamb over the shoulders, Jesus and the children on the knee, Jesus, which, because there is that Jesus too. And and I think it's approachable and friendly for children to start to understand what Matt described later as the tenderhearted King. But you got to remember that Jesus is also pictured as holding stars in his hands and, and mm. uh, you know, wielding a double-edged sword from his mouth, striking down the nations like, like wow, you know? I mean, uh, my tea group is actually, uh, we just finished a chapter in Trust and Follow Jesus uh, about the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as we begin to study that out together, you know, it's not just about doing good is holy. It's about holiness as a power of God that you can't look at, that it, you right. know, the Israelites couldn't hear the voice of, the the holiness like flowed out of God and purified everything it touched or struck it down. 
Um, I mean, so yeah, there's a there's a picture of God and there's a healthy fear, a righteous uh, discontent that it can cause. And I just think, yeah, we lose that sometimes. I'm really excited and I really get encouraged when people allow me to remember, uh, you know, the the majesty, the might of the king that we serve. And yeah. I mean, even when he talks about when you came into worship this morning, did your pulse quicken? Yeah. Like, have you ever been in the presence of a celebrity or somebody that you're like, oh my goodness, it's such and such a person. And it's like, does, is it like, I, I can, re- I can have that sense memory of meeting people that right. I felt that way about. So then ask myself, when I come before the throne of the king on a Sunday morning, like, does my pulse quicken the same way, you know? Yeah. You know, the Holy Spirit revealed something to me as I've been learning to be a better worship leader. I'm reading through Ezekiel, and it's kind of similar description as Revelation. Ezekiel talks about, um, like, the sea of glass and the rainbow and, like, the throne made of, like, looks like it's made of sapphire and there's the Lord is sitting on it and like the bottom half of his body is like glowing, like hot metal. And, and, uh, I just had that image in my head and I felt like God was saying, you know, what would you be doing if I asked you to lead worship in front of me like that? And I was just like, Oh my gosh, I'd be like on the floor. And he's like, that's what you do every Sunday. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that is right. That's what I'm doing. The mental shift there. Another thing that Matt said that really stuck out to me was he just said, Jesus has officially left aside the robes of the rabbi to put on the robe of the high king. And I don't know, that's that was good. just that's good so imagery. powerful. And I also loved how how in, much in detail he described how terrifying of a, of a high king he is, but also how tenderhearted of a king we have. And it, the first thing I thought of was, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. At the end of that story, Lucy, I think, is talking to Mr. Tumnus, and she's asking him because she doesn't know. She says, is Aslan safe? And he's like, no, but he's good. And I'm like, that's powerful. That's good. That's what that's like. C.S. Lewis knew what he was doing to put the figure of this fearsome, larger-than-life lion as this picture of God. Right. That's such good imagery. Matt does such a good job. I don't know that we can do any more justice to what Matt has already brought. One thing I will say, as we close another Renew.org Network podcast, is uh, if you guys enjoy this, if you enjoy the speakers and this medium, that they can bring the Word of God to you and encourage you and equip you and fuel your disciple-making, I consider a support of Renew.org one of the things that I was thinking about, uh, we were watching this because it's actually, uh, we have a video of all the speakers from the National Gathering and like the way the editor did the camera angles back and forth <laughs> when he's storytelling and some of the slides that you get to see, it's really great stuff. It brings this message forward uh, in a just a, in an even more uh, powerful way. And uh, we're going to, in um, in the first quarter of 2020, we're going to release a digital locker. It's going to have this year's gathering videos, last year's gathering videos. It's going to have some stuff from regional events that we've done and a whole lot more. Um, and we're going to make that available to anybody who is a regular financial supporter of Renew. It's um, We define that as $25 or more recurring donations per month or the equivalent on an annual basis. We just, uh, we want you to know that we're doing this for the kingdom and out 
of our love for God, but your prayers and your financial support, they carry the network. And so uh, if that's something that you are in a place that you can do, we'd, we'd love that support when we uh, we covet your prayers, and we'd love to make the digital locker available to you. So go to renew.org. Near the top of the page, there's there's a uh, give online button that you can click and set that up and we'll see it and we'll get your information. And uh, anyways, we just want to say thanks in advance for that consideration. And thanks so much for listening in to this episode and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Take care.